0: Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van and every week I sit down for a gorgeous 30-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. You know what? I'm going to start saying that slower and get present, because I feel like sometimes I say it so much I say it too fast, I'm not going to right now, but just next time, that's a note for me. I love you guys. This week, I'm curious about the meaning of words and how do we decide what they mean. So I'm joined by Associate Professor in UCLA's Linguistics Department, Jessica Rett. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van This week, I'm very excited. We are knocking out a subject that I've wanted to long knock out, and I needed to find someone who studied words. And you are a semanticist.
1: Yeah.
0: Which, the, so, well, let's say your name first, Jonathan. Let's start with that. Jessica, welcome. Jessica Rat. Thank that's you. That's how I say it, right? Yeah, that's perfect. I nailed it today. Yeah. So, you are an associate professor at UCL. L-A, yeah. and you are in the, like, language linguist department.
1: Yeah, I'm a linguist, and like you said, I'm a semanticist.
0: Well, I feel like the world that we live in is very confusing. Um It is, there's so much going on. But where I got this idea of, like, where we, you know, think of words and how we interpret words that we either, like, listen to or read was a story that NPR did about when the Saudi prince, um, um, Prince Mohammed bin Salman, which we do not lovingly call MBS because the guy who I did the episode with, Dr. James Galvin, taught me that, like, you know, we don't do pet names for people that could potentially be, you know, really, like, dangerous. So that's that. So, Mohammed bin Salman, he had come to the United States because he wants to like do this whole like Riyadh Vision Twenty Twenty thing, where they bring like you know more like movie theaters and water parks and to like, like modernize Saudi Arabia. And he came to like Silicon Valley and to uh, here in LA to to meet with all these people about you know modernizing Saudi Arabia in those ways. And when you or excuse me, when NPR did the story about it, it, after they kind of prefaced like what he was here for and what he was doing, the last line of the thing was. It was something like, um you know, if he was like an elected official, this this would have seen been seen as a success like, that this trip was a success. And I was like, what skin does NPR or this reporter have in the race to, like, you know, make this seem like it was a successful, like, why did I just hear that? Like, what was that sentence for? And then I started thinking, like, when I'm reading news, like, when I'm reading things, I need to start to consider, like, who is a source? Who is saying it? Why are they saying it? And, like, what skin does this writer have in the game? And the difference between, like, a writer and, like, a entity, right? Like, the difference between, like, uh, like, Washington Post and, like, a writer for Washington Post. And just thinking about all these things and like how am I going to really decipher information because sometimes I mean I'm definitely liberal but I feel like sometimes I read stuff where I'm like I almost feel like I'm being manipulated by the left to be more enraged about something because then when I really go and read this story I'm like well that was kind of based off of something that wasn't exactly you know so it's hard to think critically I'll stop talking now but after I ask a question which is like what's linguistics what's semantics (laughs) what does it mean
1: Well, we can – let's start with what's linguistics, and then we can work our way back to the word thing, which is super important, as you suggest. Um, So um, there's a bunch of different ways to do linguistics. The way I do it is sometimes called generative linguistics or theoretical linguistics, and it sort of started with Chomsky, Noam Chomsky. No,
0: no. I n- no. He's
1: sort of like our rock star, but you know that's What's his not name? a Modest claim, Noam Chomsky. Noam Chomsky in the sixties at MIT. So um, his uh, take on the on the scene before he came on the scene, people were just looking at individual languages. So they were like looking at the cultural aspects of language, so they were anthropologists, or they were looking at whole families of language and looking about thinking about how languages change, so they were philologists. Um, his idea was to sort of think about language um more holistically in terms of, you know, what they have in common across languages instead of how they differ. And he did this because he was interested in language primarily as a way of sort of getting at cognition. So learning about what it is we all have in common in our brains. Because what does cognition mean again? Just like your thinking, like how you think about things. So there are some philosophers who think, you know, they debate about whether we have a language of thought, whether we sort of have like... A language that our just our brain uses.
0: Yeah, I thought of that with like things. with animals, because like it's because like if my if Bug and Larry can't speak English, it's like you know they can't speak English. So it's like when I come like when Bug's on the bed and we connect eyes, and I'm like, ooh he knows I'm about to just like come in and like kiss that little nose. <laughs> like I'm going to hold his little face and I'm going to kiss. His little, it's like does he think like oh I love this, oh I hate this, or is it just like impulses where he's like I wish you'd get the fuck off me, but he can't think those words. It's
1: it's a huge debate in the philosophy of mind. Um, and, and, um, Chomsky wanted to look at, um, natural language as a way of getting at that. And also as a way of answering questions like, how is it that kids acquire language so effortlessly? Like they don't have to take English 101 by the time they get to school. They're fluent, more fluent than I would be six years in a Spanish speaking community or, you know, somewhere somewhere where I'm learning the language. So he had all of these sort of cognitive or like you know, mind and thinking related questions. And he was turning to language as like a window. It's sort of a a good sort of like view into that and those questions. Um, And so as a a theoretical linguist, we sort of are more interested in trying to figure out what all human languages have in common so that we can take that to reflect cognition and and what sorts of thoughts humans
0: have. So question. Yeah. Um, Okay, like romance languages, right? Like English. English no nope not one. Italian French, exactly. Spanish. Yes. English isn't a romance language. No. But they're like the sister of all those other languages. It's sort of
1: a bastard. It's a bastard language. We are not. <laughs> we did our
0: best. It's not our fault that that boy, <laughs> divorced, can, beheaded, died, divorce beheaded, survived, and we got all separated from our, our brothers and sisters. But we can embrace the
1: term. Just like you were saying, you know, words have different meanings and different connotations, and we can change those connotations. Yeah, because so like
0: bastard's fucking fears. Yes, we yeah. can embrace it. Like, look at fucking Jon Snow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Who do yes. you want to be him? Yeah, totally. Okay. So oh, you got it. Okay, so, so, so we're not we're a all, romance language, but, but didn't we all come from Greek or something? Or Roman?
1: We're all part of the Indo-European language now. So
0: we're not a bastard after all. We just had to dig a little bit deeper. All, relative to totally. relative to romance languages we are, but we're all still like Indo-European exactly. languages.
1: So the idea is that we can work our way up, especially um, diachronic linguists, linguists who study the way languages change across time. They can work their way from the languages we see in the world backwards and construct proto-languages, languages that sort of came before them. Just the oh, so
0: was there something that was before it, Greek, probably? Yeah. Oh, what was it, was it um, the, the Jesus language, Aramaic or something? Well, they're all
1: connected. You can, you can look at online. There's all these beautiful trees, and they end in the languages we know now. And for our language family... Indo-European, they um, start with Proto-Indo-European, which is a reconstructed language, which means it's something that we've sort of come up with theoretically based on what we see in the world around us. We say, oh, well, you know, these two languages are related because they have very similar words for um, mother, you know, and, and they're systematic in the differences between them.
0: And then there's probably, like, those, like, families of, like, like e- Asian or something.
1: Yeah, so Niger-Congo is the biggest um, one, it has the most languages, and that's Niger a lot.
0: Congo has. The, that's kind of surprising.
1: Well, you know, there's a lot of little languages everywhere. So Papua New Guinea has some like the highest density of languages in that area in the world. So it's not so much how many speakers. Like we're talking about just sheer number of languages,
0: right? Um, so what? So what happens? Like if a language goes extinct?
1: Yeah. Terrible, terrible things. So we can talk about, you know, Chomsky and and this sort of window into cognition, that perspective on languages. If you lose a language, you lose a little bit of that perspective on what it is to think like a human, how our brains work, how cognition works. If you think, if you're someone who thinks uh, that you know, language influences the way we think about the world, and we can talk about that um, later, then you know, we lose some way of perceiving the world. So, you know, the one thing I would love to do today is to get everyone to sort of think about endangered languages. You can donate to things like the Endangered Language Fund and keep linguists on the ground preserving these things because we can't get them. And
0: how does a linguist preserve a language? Just like you have to write a dictionary of them or something? Yeah, there's a really fun movie that
1: came out a few years ago called The Linguist. It's a documentary about some Guys on the ground just running from endangered language to endangered languages with like a microphone in front of them Um, just sitting down um, with you know and recording just for a few days you know and then running to the next one but there are other linguists descriptive linguists field linguists um, who spend a little more time with the community and get to know the language more in-depthly and exactly that's exactly what they do they write a dictionary sometimes they um, are um, helping communities revitalize the language so there are a lot of revitalization programs Hebrew is a revitalization language it might not what evolved. about Yiddish um, Yiddish has been going strong she's okay. going strong yeah, so she's, she's doing a good language
0: so what about um what about uh what are you like what's your like what's a day in the life of you like so, with 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 language
1: so I'm much more removed from all of these sexy things
0: You're, they're still sexy or something okay. hopefully yeah you could be a sexy linguist scientist <laughs> it's fine
1: so when we look at um, all of these commonalities across language um, some people look at Sounds So the different sounds that are possible and impossible in languages. Um, oh, my God. What's
0: an impossible sound in English?
1: Well, there's no, you know, we, we, oh, in English. Oh, we don't have clicks, for instance.
0: Oh, we don't have. And we also like in like in Spanish, like there's like and we don't have, yeah, that. We don't have
1: that. Yeah. And Hawaiian has even fewer than we do. They've only got. I got
0: to do a podcast on Hawaii, honey. That royal family and like everything that went down huh? is like a whole thing. I don't even know. About they that. had a major royal family. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that we like kicked the fuck out like a bunch of other people. Like we did the most negative things. Ugh, that's our way. No, it really is it it really is sad. It's like and it's like and it's like, can you still be like really patriotic but like be so ashamed of like all of these things that we've done? Like I think that you can because I think that I am still patriotic, but like fuck. We have just been dicks.
1: Yeah. You know, you're a national treasure because you're bringing these things to the forefront and you can help people, sort of help us. Well, a lot
0: of people have been dicks too, not just the United States. Like there has been enough dickery and fuckery to go along, (laughs) to go around to all of the governments. That's true. Because as much as like there's like sweet and loveliness in humans, there's also like a bunch of fuckery. There's yeah. both.
1: And, you know, lack of education. So that's why this sort of thing is really important. So try and get everyone thinking about these issues. Devi-
0: you know, I think language and linguistics in some ways is like, you know, is she sexy? Is she glamorous? Like, it's like, why important? Like, why do an episode on it? Well, we're dealing with like more words and more dissemination of information than like ever before. It's very, very difficult. And so how do, how do you get people... Inspired to want to learn about language and like want to know why it's important. Like, you, how do you do it?
2: Well,
1: I teach undergrads, um, and uh, you know, I don't have much role in them enrolling in the class, so they, it's a selection bias. They get me already interested. Which is fierce. (laughs) Um, And they're increasingly (laughs) interested because um, linguistics is increasingly important in computational stuff. What's
0: computation?
1: Just stuff like Google wants to hire linguists to help them. work out how to run their searches so if you search for something they want to know if it's ambiguous they want to know um, how, how to best understand you google translate things like that how to pitch ads so you're talking about connotations when you're reading your political news just think about how these nefarious geniuses at ad industries are using language to sort of shape how you think yeah so i mean it's not just politics. So, so linguistics is really important. There's um, a lot of work on language in the law. So, the ways the law is written um, can really determine someone's fate. The way it's interpreted, you know, whether uh, you sort of nodding an assent to someone searching your car. Oh, uh, absolutely. It counts as you assenting or you, you know, f- just giving a thumbs up. You know, these sorts of questions are really important. They can decide someone's fate.
0: I think that's probably why there's so much issue getting stuff passed in Washington and getting things done because, like, the laws have to be so, like, fastidious. Wait, what's fastidious mean?
1: think it means like anal.
0: Yeah it has to be like the laws have to be so like fastidiously written that like nothing really gets done and there's so much like bureaucracy is like what Donald fucking Trump was saying that uh, a lot of stuff ends up getting like you know kind of full of red tape and it's like not really efficient and it's kind of silly and because it's like how is anyone really supposed to protect themselves or like know what's really going on when like laws are written for like only like you know three percent of the lawyers in the world to be able to understand it, Yeah
1: and the lawyers aren't linguists so there are a lot of opinions that I've seen in 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 legal work where it just goes completely flies in the face of what a linguist would say about the issues.
0: Uh, can you give me an example?
1: Um, let's see. Uh, the ones that are springing to mind have to do with, um, oh, you know, one thing that was really um, relevant recently was this whole discussion about um, when Trump fired James Comey. Yes, so um, James Comey had um, transcripts, I think, of their mm-hmm. conversations. And- I hope you
0: can see clear to letting exactly. things go, which feels so obstructionish. It feels so mafia.
1: Yeah. So the question was whether that constituted a threat. So as you can imagine, there was a political divide along the along these lines. So um, the liberals are like, obviously that's a threat. And I think a lot of conservatives were like, you didn't say I hereby threaten you, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, there was a brief, you know, we had a brief, the linguists had this brief um, f- day of fame in, in, the, in the news media because um, this is a really relevant question that we as semanticists and philosophers of language um, spend a lot of time thinking about, like, what constitutes a threat? You know, when does it count? Well, it's, like, Omarosa, because, yeah, yeah. like,
0: Omarosa drew with her recording, which was so interesting, because that came out, like, from the innermost, like, workings of the White House, where you're never supposed to be able to, like, get a unsecured recording device, which is, like, just goes to show, like, the level of, like, um, mismanagement in the White House from, like, a, I mean, you talk about fucking emails. <laughs> this motherfucker had Omarosa, of all people, in the fucking situation room with the phone. She could have, like, and you don't think Omarosa wouldn't sell that to anyone that, like, had the highest bidder? No, I'm dead serious. Like, that's insane that you would be, like, tripping about Hillary Clinton having that, and then this is just, like, a non-issue. Like, yeah. that's insane to me. Yeah. Um, wait, so, really quickly, because I'm rounding third base into, like, a gorgeous round up back double-twisting layout that is the second half of this episode of Getting Curious. So, enjoy these, you know, this commercial break. It's brief. It's gorgeous. Make yourself a cup of coffee. If you're at the gym, I don't know what to tell you, what to do. Just listen to this. Turn the volume down. Turn it up. Do whatever you want to do. We'll be back with more Getting Curious after this. Honey, take a moment and just think to yourself, describe yourself in one word. Are you simple, sophisticated, or adventurous? However you dress, the stylist at Stitch Fix can help you find your favorite piece. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that delivers your favorite clothing, shoes, and accessories directly to you. First, you complete a style profile. Then an expert personal stylist will send you a hand-picked box of items based on your preferences. They even have men's and kids' boxes, too, which we love, honey. Let's get everyone, uh, you know, taken care of. Plus, I'm sure you can mix and match if they aren't, you know, in the dark ages. What if you want something from both? With no subscription required, you can pick between automatic shipments or only getting new pieces on demand. Shipping exchanges and returns are always free. Plus, the $20 styling fee is automatically applied towards anything you keep from your box. We love our Stitch Fix personal stylists. I can customize my own gorgeous preferences, whether it's sizing, brand, or budget. Once you finish the style quiz and set up your ideal number of deliveries, honey, you'll receive everything from jewelry to shoes to bags, all to go with your hand-picked outfits. I love that. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash JVN and get an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. That's S-T-I-T-C-H fix.com slash JVN for an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. Support for today's show comes from Rakuten. Rakuten is a free member based loyalty program that lets you earn up to 40% cash back at over 2,500 stores. It's perfect for all your back to school shopping needs. Get cash back on everything from school supplies to new clothes at some of your favorite retailers like Macy's, Forever 21, Walmart, and more. And don't worry, it's always free. No gimmicks, no points to redeem. Better yet, Rakuten is so simple and easy to use. Simply go to Rakuten.com, click on the retailer you're looking for to activate the cash back and then shop as normal. You'll earn a percentage of every purchase you make up to 40% cash back. Then every three months, members will be paid in the form of a check or via PayPal. Sign up today at Rakuten.com. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.com. If there is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling can help. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ matters, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment and get help at your own time and at your own pace. Anything you share is confidential and it's so convenient. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions as well as chat and text with your therapist. If for some reason you are not happy with your counselor, though, you can request a new one at any time and for no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness Listers can get 10% off your first month with the discount code JVN. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash JVN. Then simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with the counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash JVN. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Vanessa. Really, one reason why, you know, I started this, teed off this episode with this, and it's like, how do we use language to better inform ourselves of the world because I think one thing that's really going on right now that is very difficult is like with the Fox News of the world and the CNNs of the world because you really got to call them out on both sides it has become clickbait it has become how many eyeballs do we have on it it's become headline driven instead of like really trying to disseminate information and get I was just talking about this the other day and um In San Francisco, it's, like, it feels like, I mean, the 60s were, like, a dark place, and it was, like, not a cute time. There's like, a lot of, like, uh, not cuteness going on. But one thing that was going on, at least politically, like, I remember that. Well, I don't remember, but I've seen that speech from JFK where he talks about, like, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And it seems like in the world there's, like, a lack of, like, being kind to each other or trying to, like, work together or, like, doing any sort of thing for, like— common good. Um, And so I hope for that. And it it seems impossible to get into any of that because both sides are so polarized and and both sides are like Unable to meet in the middle on anything. It's like the left feels like the, um, what's that girl who just won the New York primary? Who's so great. Oh, okay. What's abolish abolished uh, Cortez. Okay. So there's so much that she stands for that I love. And I, I mean, let's do abolish. ICE. I think they are like an out of control, like crazy agency. However, like my mom is a really, really good person. I love her. And, and all sorts of people in the middle of America are really good people. They're never going to be down for free tuition. It just ain't going to happen. Like free college tuition ain't never going to go down. Like, so I just think from the left, like, I love being liberal. I do feel like I'm on the left, but I think that there's certain things that we just need to really drop and get out of the clouds because it's not gonna happen. The John Van Nessas of the world, like my dad, are never going to vote for someone that's pushing free. Free college. It's just not going to happen. Reduced rate something, maybe free in-state something, yes. But, like, the idea of, like, you know, all or nothing is insane. I think that Hillary Clinton was a great example of, like, an all or nothing mentality because she couldn't be the perfect candidate. Like, we chose fucking Donald Trump, who is inflicting so much pain and suffering across the world because we elected, like, a four-year-old. Like, someone who has, like, the linguistic capability of understanding because he can't even read. We know that from his briefings, he cannot read information. It has to be told to him. And that's why language is so important because how someone else interprets what they're reading gets delivered to the president. That's why like his inner circle is so important because he can't fucking read. <laughs> like it has to be deciphered to him. So that's why I brought you here. It's because like, I want to know how we can use language, to, like not rile ourselves up. My nervous system feels so shot. <laughs> you know, how do Everyone's
1: we- Everyone's has PTSD, I think.
0: Yeah, so PTSD. it's like, how do we use language to really decipher what it is that we're reading?
1: Well, I I would just caution to that that people just pay attention to the connotations of the words they're using. So there's a really fun term for these sorts of things. It's called a dog whistle. It's a it's a it's a term that we use to talk about words or phrases that have these hidden meanings, um, and they're usually negative. um, That you sort of on the face of it, you there's plausible deniability. You said, oh I just called them urban. Youth. I didn't mean black youth. You know, I called them. Urban. Oh, okay. So that's a that's, really good example. Yeah, something like that. And so there's plausible deniability there. So the person who's using the language, um, you know, usually s- sort of to bring negative connotations on a population, um, like has some deniability. There's there's two levels of meaning in a lot of the words we use. Like one is just like literal. Yes, no. Are they urban? And you're like, okay. Well, in this case, yeah, they happen to have lived in a city. Um, but the way you're using the word, you're bringing in your packaging in all of this extra negative connotation and that's the second level of meaning and a lot of the words we use have that second level and that second level is very hard to get rid of you can't deny it in conversation like you can't you you can't if i say you know urban youth or blah 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 and someone reports me as saying oh you know jessica was rallying a a you know railing against black youth I can say no no I wasn't but you all knew what I meant right so they're very pernicious these words and we just have to make sure that we are aware of what uh, which words what's pernicious mean uh, just like you know Insidious. They've got just they. Well, because I think of like
0: I think of like Donald Trump last year with the with the Charlottesville rally and him saying you know there was very fine people on both sides of the the protest and it's like and or I think about you know Helsinki and he was like you know I see no reason why why Vladimir Putin would lie to me and it's like the importance of what the words that you speak have now don't seem is there a difference for you that you notice like as a scientist that studies language like do words mean less than they used to or are people able to get away with it? has something changed there
1: Um, no I, I don't think so I mean it's it's hard to tell it's only been you know it feels like it's been a, a lifetime but it's only been like what two years yeah not even <laughs> so, I think it's been like a year and a half so we need more data this is always the scientific response <laughs> right um, but he's sort of calling our bluff on our outrage with respect to all of these statements there's really little that we can do with our outrage it turns out
0: so what about, as a linguist, What were you particularly moved or, or uh, interested in, like, those seven words that he said that the CDC can't use anymore? Like, what did the linguist community think like of that, like, you know, curtailing, like, words that were and were not allowed to be used? And also, do you know any linguists who are Trump supporters? <laughs> um, Literally, I'm curious.
1: I uh, That's funny. Uh, I don't happen to know, but I'm sure they exist. Um
0: Any Trump supporters that are listening to this that also so happen to be, like, an actual linguist in an actual college, if you want to hit me up on Twitter, I'm curious. I feel like I have to do a getting curious about, like, why do you still support Donald Trump?
1: Yeah. Like, with someone
0: who's actually, like, could talk to me about it.
1: Yeah, I think it's always a good idea to try and understand—
0: Alternative points of view. Yeah.
1: I will say one thing about um, the seven words in the CDC, like all of this, you, you might be interested to hear it has, um, you know, I was talking about dog whistles before, but there's a lot of um, work being done right now on slurs. So like the difference between um, gay and the F word or black or African American and the N word, um, people in philosophy of language and semantics are doing a lot of work on that because you've got those same two levels of meaning, as I was talking about before. On the one hand, you think, oh, it just picks out this population. And we can talk about whether or not you're a member of that population. You can self-identify as a member. Or you cannot, and that's up to you. Um, but they all, at some level, just pick out a group. But then there are some words that I'm not even going to say,
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm just
1: abbreviating, because they've got such bad connotations. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how those connotations develop is very interesting. And
0: connotation, just for you connotation is like the word that it's like, it's like thought to what it means that it's not the dictionary definition.
1: Yeah, I'm just using it to mean like the other level. Like, you know, if, if I say that person is gay, it's true or false. If I say that person is, and I use a slur, um, it's still true or false. We can still talk about whether or not they belong in that group, but there's this whole other layer. Well, like Like in the UK,
0: like there's like fag for a cigarette Mm -hmm. and then there's like fag in America is like what I got called every like four seconds when I like walked in the hallway, like my entire, like, you know, adolescent childhood life in in my hometown Mm -hmm. So, but I, I think that, like, when I first read Bridget Jones' Diary in junior high, um, the character Sharon, like, so is always like, let's go, let's step out for fag. That was, like, the first time I'd ever heard it, like, talked to, like, talked about in, like, a cigarette way. And when I first heard it, I was like, ugh. Like, I mean, it's like a 13 year Like, what the fuck? Like, why was that? I didn't understand. And I wonder how, like, as fag picked up steam as a slur in America, if it changed the connotation of fag as a cigarette in the UK.
1: Oh, that's an interesting question. I suspect it Probably hasn't, or only among people that travel here. Um, my husband's Australian, and in Australia, um, fanny means vagina. Mm. So the fanny pack, I, I I don't feel comfortable saying that phrase anymore.
0: <laughs> so that's like, so that's like a thing. What is that term for, like, when something means something in one place, and it's like all the same language, but it's like, it's like a. F- Like a false cognate or something? Yeah,
1: well, that's a great term for it. Um, It's a little different because in this case, we're talking about two dialects of the same language. Oh, because a
0: cognate, that's like "embarrassado" in Spanish, which means like I'm um, pregnant, but you would think it means I'm embarrassed.
1: Exactly. Um, And that's one of our our aspects of us being a bastard. We do have romance words, loan words a lot of our loner words that's what that means Um, but uh, you know the reason why you're using the term cognate is actually quite apt is there's actually not a scientific difference between a dialect and a language not to your mind or anything.
0: Wait, so there's no difference between what and what?
1: So you and I have an intuition. We're speaking one language. If someone would come in and speak Vietnamese, we'd say, oh, that's a different language. And that's a very strong intuition. We all have it. Um, and we have, uh, also have an intuition that you know someone who's speaking British English, like Mary, or my husband speaking Australian English, they're speaking different dialects of the same language. But the difference between all of those things is incredibly hard to pin down arguably impossible to pin down so you might say something like well you're speaking two different languages if the if you can't understand each other like maybe like words mutual intelligibility maybe that's a criterion for a different different languages um, but um, there are a lot of different languages that are mutually intelligible like Norwegian and Sweden
0: oh they like they're and like
1: Norwegian yeah and Swedish like
0: maybe. they understand but like yeah, they, they might can never
1: understand each other um, there's a, f- a famous saying by a, a linguist um, a yiddishist actually um, uh, that a language is a dialect with an army and a navy so it's really more of a social social construct or a political construct
0: oh that's interesting there.
1: so yeah you and I can communicate fine but if you actually sort of go into you know we don't have Laboratories, because we're linguists. But if you were to go in our metaphoric laboratory and sort of put them under our metaphoric microscopes, it'd be very hard to say. All right, well, here's the clean line. All of these are different languages. All of these are different dialects within a language. So the situation is much more hairy than you'd think.
0: So, what when it comes to like studying like language in general for your career, like what are some things that you've learned about or could like impart upon us that you like learned? Like, is there a way that like um, like gender affects the way that we use language, for instance?
1: yeah so I just taught a class on um uh social identity and language use, and I don't really do this stuff on my day to day basis, but it was really interesting and i I've learned a lot um it, it It depends, so it's certainly the case that um language is like fashion in a way, so there's this Chomsky sense in which we're using it to spit out our cognition, so we're using it to sort of sort of um, reflect what our thoughts are, so that's very you know. Hardwired. I feel like
0: I'm doing that. Yeah,
1: you are. You're great at it. You're amazing at it.
0: But that's just like what her brain does. Yeah. So that's one thing. So,
1: But there's another flip side of it where we use it very stylistically. We use it to express ourselves. Oh, yeah, I do
0: that too. I
1: know. You're amazing at that. So, you know, I might speak a certain way, you know, when I'm with my friends because we've got our own, like, cool kid insofar as I'm a cool kid way of talking. And then I'll speak a different way when I'm with my parents because I've got this Midwest thing going on. And then I'll speak a different way when I'm teaching because I'm trying to sound more authoritative. And so... Um, There's a bunch of fluctuation even within a person's, you know, unique dialect uh, where they sort of adapt and roll with their social punches just in the way you might dress differently if you do one of these functions or another one of these functions.
0: So if you're trying to like take on information like say by reading the news or something is it is where you are when you're taking the news on like does that matter like if you're kind of like stressed out or in the middle of doing like a million different things like you can't like understand the language and like like what's your advice for like taking in language and being able to like fucking get it together in your mind in a way that makes sense.
1: I would do and it sounds like this. This is what you started off doing. I would just make sure that whenever you see a, you know, a statement, just just sort of scan it and see if you see something that qualifies as a dog whistle or something that seems a little less than completely um, objective.
0: So let's yes. Dog whistle again, like if if we were like studying for a test, and it's like dog whistle equals that's like anything that like what like what's like the definition of dog whistle again?
1: So just so that just it's pretty intuitive term. So if you're dog whistling, like you can you can sort of only hear it at some level, right? It's sort of high up in the frequency. So that's the same thing. So you you're using a term one way, but it has connotations that are hard to perceive you have to look for them you can deny that, that you ever dog whistled at all you know you can say oh I was just talking on this frequency I wasn't talking on this frequency so a dog whistle is a word that has um, in uh, often negative connotations but this extra layer of meaning um, that's not part of whether the sentence is true or false uh, it's just
0: like, like layering like other sh- yeah, stuff on it it's the
1: difference between gay and the F word and it's the difference between you know Uh, uh, anything you know there's all this debate about pro-choice versus pro-life you know one team uses one term one team uses the other term Um, uh, pro-life you know sounds really great (laughs) pro-choice sounds really great um so um, so there's just a lot of nuance in the words w- that we use. Um, and, and as you pointed out, there's a lot of sort of words that have the same sort of synonyms. They mean the same thing at one level, but they've got a bunch of different connotations at the other level. So I would just caution people to just be on the lookout for that sort of thing. Um, you can read um, There's work on this topic by um, George Lakoff, who's a linguist at Berkeley, UC Berkeley. He's worked on this stuff for... Decades now, he spends a lot of time thinking about um, how Democrats may have been losing recently because they're not using language as effectively as the Republicans, those sorts of issues.
0: Um, yeah, that's that, I like that story.
1: Just pay attention. Just pay attention and make sure. And if you see um, someone even on your favorite, you know— Blog, if you see someone use a phrase that you think is just non objective, then just make sure to mentally call them out on it and be like, all right, I'm going to take what you say with a grain of salt for a little while because, you know, that wasn't the most objective thing you could have said, and you're clearly, like, you know, letting your opinion bleed into your. You editorialize your reporting.
0: Ugh, that's happening to me all the time, but that's why I'm not a journalist. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, you've got lovely opinions. And the world needs to hear that. Well, them. I'm
0: trying to learn. Uh-huh. Just trying to learn. Just trying to be present. Um, thank you so much for coming in and giving us your time. Is my there anything pleasure. like in the yoga class of this of this program that I miss that we need to know about language or researching it or knowing about it or like your work?
1: Um, well, I haven't talked about my work, but I think that's fine. I also wanted to tell you there's a bunch of different ways uh, you use the word like.
0: I, I, I overuse it.
1: No, you don't. That's the beauty of language. You've got your own way of talking, and there's a bunch of different likes, and you use all of them really well. <laughs>
0: This, Wait, like, but I, but we didn't even get to touch on your work. T- can you give me like a three-minute, like, Gay of Thrones-style recap of your work?
1: Oh, it would never be. Anywhere near as entertaining. But so um, a lot of people, so I, I was saying they sort of, we try and to figure out what languages have in common. Some people look at sounds. Some people look at grammar, so the, the order that the words appear in the sentence. Um, and I look at meaning. Um, and it's not just word meaning. I also look at the ways in which um words meaning contributes to the meaning of a sentence um, and in all of these cases because I'm a theoretical linguist my goal is to try and come up with a model to um, explain what it is you know when you know that aspect of the language. So um, um, if, if you say um, you know Mary is as tall as Bill that means at least as tall or exactly as tall depending on the context, it turns out. Um, I I wanna try and sort of use something to model what it is you know when you know the meaning of that sentence and and how the parts of the sentence contribute to that meaning. Um, And in my field, we use logic to model those things. So we use um, different logical systems. And just again, the goal is just to try and figure out what it is you know when you know a language. So when you were little and you were listening to your parents and you're listening to the television, um, just what were you learning? such that you did it all so efficiently. And, and our opinion is that what you're doing is instead of just memorizing sentences, because you can make up your own sentence and you're good at that, what you're doing is you're actually abstracting away from the data you've got and you're memorizing something like an algorithm that tells you how to form these sentences.
0: Which is why it's so important to like really pay attention to like where you're getting your information from. Yep,
1: that's yeah, that's exactly right.
0: Yeah, so that you can... like not really take anything as fact and like use your own brain to like figure out your own perspective of the world of the things that you're hearing
1: yeah and pay attention to language it's a great great tip
0: uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing My your brain pleasure. with us it's been a
1: great time
0: thank you You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Vaness. My guest this week was Dr. Jessica Rett, Associate Professor in Linguistics at UCLA. You'll find links to Dr. Rett's work and socials in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JVN. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. It just really fits so well, and we love it so much. If you've enjoyed our show, introduce a friend. Show them how to subscribe. It's, you know... So many people don't even know that the little Apple Podcast app exists. She's already built into your phone if you're an Apple user. So, honey, just click it. It's great. Subscriber, or you can use Spotify. We're we're all over the place. So, we just love you so much, and thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Getting Curious. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit earwolf.com.
2: Hey guys, it's Sashir and Nicole from Best, Best Friends. Friends. Our podcast has been out for a few months. If you haven't listened to it, you should. We've already asked the big questions in life. Imagine if we could lay eggs. E- okay, sure. <laughs> I guess we. Wouldn't that be funny if you could eat from yourself? No, because that's what it- cannibalism. Not when you eat yourself. What? Hmm? Answer listener questions. Hi, Nicole and Sashir. What happens if Sashir dies first? I mean, I've never thought of it. Wow. I would be so sad. (laughs) Oh, no. Nicole. Nicole. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm not gonna die. Take BuzzFeed quizzes. Let's pick eight foods and we'll give you a sex position to try. Whoa This is wild. Plus we bring on other funny best friends to talk about their friendship. I almost want to cry I feel I don't know why that really made me feel emotional about It's because <laughs> it's pure to talk about it friendship. It's nice. It's, it's so, so nice It's like so rare to like articulate it, but she's always there for me like I, I think she's just somebody who <laughs> Oh, I love, I love this. I love it so much. Oh my God. It's really sweet. Best Friends with Nicole Byer and Sashir Zameda is new every Wednesday. On Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever, you get your podcast. Listen. Oh my God. Two. It. <laughs>